0: Thank you so much for tuning in to this message from New Life Church. Stay tuned because what you'll hear this morning is guaranteed to help you know Jesus better. We're, we're talking about Mark's gospel, and it's this really interesting text that is, uh, that is theologically rich, theologically significant, and there's a lot happening. And, and really what happens here is that you see, you see for a moment, you catch a glimpse of Jesus' true character. You, for a moment in this text, you see what he is, like, really like. I don't know if you've ever had a, a situation in your life where maybe you were, like, you knew someone, and then something happened, and you caught a glimpse of what they were really like. Most of the time when that happens, right, it's something that you're not, like, excited about. And I was thinking about this, like, I used to go to a church, it was, it was about, I don't know, 12 years ago, um, and it was a church I used to work at. And at this church, uh, we did this thing. And we've done it here before. We'll probably do it here again. It's called a Daniel fast. And it's, the Daniel fast is where you, basically, you're just eating fruits and vegetables. So, like, take all the foods that make you happy and just don't eat those for a while. Like, that's basically a Daniel fast. And, and so we, we did this Daniel fast. And, and, we, and so at New Life, when we've done it in the past, we've done like a seven-day and a ten-day the church I was at, like, they were doing, like, 21 day, So, just, like, 21 days of, like, beans. Like, that's it. And so, and there, like, is, like, the church is participating in this fast. There were really, like, two groups of people who would participate, okay? There was, like, the people who were just trying to find a way to, like, make it through it, you know? Like, sharing recipes about, like, how to make chili without meat, like, those people. And, and then there were the people who I would lovingly call the purists, okay? And they were just like full of judgment and anger. And so there was this one guy, and he was, and he was one of the purists, okay? And I'll never forget this situation. So we, had, we were youth pastors at the time, and there was a group of students who came in with these like blue corn tortilla chips, which is basically like cardboard, but like a little crunchy. Okay, and so they come in, and they're not good. No one would normally pick that, unless you would, and that's totally normal if you. Do. But like, but like they, they and, and I remember this guy. He walked up to them and grabbed their bag off the table. Okay, mind you, these are high school students who are doing a Daniel fast. Okay, like this is pretty impressive, and and he goes through the ingredients right in front of them, and he's like, "What is beta phosphate or whatever it was called?" And, and they're like, "I don't know." And he's like, "See." I can't even believe what we did. And he's like throws it back down and like walks away like that. Okay, so he he was really like a purist about it. Okay, a couple days later. One of my buddies who wasn't doing the fast happened to be at Wendy's. Yeah, you know where this is going. He went there and had lunch, ordered a cheeseburger, and drank a Coke in the middle of the fast. Daniel ain't doing that. Like, I'm just saying. And so, like, but he was just here. And what did, what did that show? It, it gave us a glimpse of his true character because what was his true character? I'll do what's right when everyone's watching, but when no one else is watching, that is when I will bend the rules. And here we have Jesus. And as we see a picture of his true character, here's what Mark wants us to see, is that catching a glimpse of his true character and who he is, it actually will make you love him even more. And so if you've got a Bible, we will be in Mark's gospel. We're going to start actually on a verse we preached on last week, and I'm just going to be honest with you. It's heavy. If you missed last week, you should listen to the podcast, go on YouTube, watch it, and I'll explain it then and lean in and leave even a little bit more. So starting in Mark 8:38, Jesus speaking, he says this, "'For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed.'" When he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing there, standing here, who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now, so this is one of those texts that there's all kinds of like thoughts on it. And if you read it without just like a cursory glance, It almost sounds like Jesus is saying that when I return, like, I'm going to return before some of you die. Like, and if you just kind of look at it and you kind of glance on on, it, it almost feels like that's what he's saying. But that's actually, like, not what he's saying at all. Like, if you look at what he's saying, he's, he's saying, some of you, some of you are going to experience my power in a profound way before you even die. Which, okay, it's really important. This is why context really matters because what he just said is something that is kind of nuts. We're used to it because we know the story ends, but like he just told these people, okay, he said, there's a day that will come at the end of all time where I am going to return in glory with angels by my side. Like, if someone tells you that, your immediate thought is going to be like, dude, that guy's weird. <laughs> and what Jesus is saying in, in, verse, in, in, in the next verse, he's saying, what I want you to know is that some of you are going to see me do something that will give you confidence that someday I will be able to come with the angels in glory. There will be a manifestation of my power that will help you know that I can too return in this way. And there's really three options I think he could be talking about. And it's possible to me that he's talking about all three of them. <clears throat> One is he could be talking about Pentecost. That in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God comes on the people with fire, like fire, flames, tongues of fire, and, and, and what ends up happening is they end up speaking all these different languages, and 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus that day. That if you were taking a test, and you're like, what happened there? And one of the options was the Spirit of God coming in power. I think that you could check that on the box and be like, yeah, that seems like the kingdom of God coming in power. Another option that what it could be talking about is it could be talking about Jesus raising from the dead. I mean... He died, and then he rose. Like, call me, call me old-fashioned, but that seems like a display of power. And there are people that are, okay, so some of you are going to say, that's very possible. But what I think it probably is talking about, though it could be talking about all of them, is, is what comes next. Because right after that verse, in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, is what the Bible calls the transfiguration. And the transfiguration is a picture of Jesus Christ revealing His power in a really, really profound way. Look at this here in chapter nine, verse two. It says this. "And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white. As no one on earth could bleach them, and there appeared to to them Elijah with Moses, for they were talking with Jesus. So this is such interesting. So many things are happening. And if you were to read this text right next to God revealing Himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, you'd find that the, the, the similarities are actually pretty striking. That in both accounts, what you'll see is you'll see six days mentioned. Six days are kind of seen as a time of preparation for God to reveal himself. That in both, in both accounts, what you see is you see that um, there's a mountain that's involved, Mount Sinai with Moses, and then they leave the name of the mountain off for this with Jesus. And then what you also see is you're gonna see that in both situations, a cloud shows up. And so what, what Mark is doing is he's saying that God, through Jesus, in the same way that he revealed himself to Moses, that he's revealing himself to us here in Jesus Christ, that this is a picture of the glory of God and what he looks like. He wants you to know who Jesus is and that he is truly divine. And it's something that happens where honestly, like, it's so magnificent what they experienced that they, they really struggle to, like, find a way to describe it. E- even that phrase, like, intensely white as no one could like That just feels like stretching for a metaphor right there but if you look at the phrase like transfigured that's from the word that we um that we get the word metamorphosis that he he literally like changed before them before their very eyes in a way that they knew who he was but they could see that he was different in the moment and, and i really like the way the commentator kent hughes describes that he, he describes what happens this way he says, for a brief moment, the veil of Jesus' humanity was lifted and his true essence was allowed to shine through. Or put another way, I really like this. He, he slipped back into eternity to his pre-human glory, that it was a glance back and a look forward into glory. So what's happening here? is he is discovering like who he is, who he's always been. That for a moment there are these people who are watching what happens, and you see that in the words that he uses. He uses that word radiant, which is interesting because it literally means shining. That, That it's the word that would be used in the original when it's talking about like shining metals or even like shining stars. So what is happening here as he's being transfigured is like light is bursting forth from him. And they're just watching it happen. Like, he's changing. They're seeing a picture of what, he's look, of what God looks like. He's glowing. And then you have this, like, part that is nuts, where you have Moses and Elijah up there on the mountain just having a conversation with Jesus. And one of the questions that people ask with that part is like, okay, but how did they know, like, it was Moses and Elijah? Like, I mean, there weren't, like, pictures back like, then. So how did they, how did they know? And there's a few thoughts. Like, one is possible, like, that God revealed it to, to them. Like, in the same way that God revealed that Jesus was the Messiah to Peter. Like, maybe God supernaturally just revealed that's who it was. It's possible one of the things people believe about heaven is that there's a part of being in heaven is that you can, you can recognize people and they can recognize you and you don't, like, just as part of your, like, resurrected body. So some people have said that. I think that the answer is actually pretty easy. They were able to know because, like, they were talking to each other, right? Like, I'm sure that when Jesus greeted them, he wasn't like, hey, bro. He probably said, hey, Moses. And they were, oh, Moses. Okay, got it. And, And this is just, like, a small, like, sampling of what was going on. But, like, a lot was happening there in the, that moment. And so it's not crazy to assume. Like, these are just a few verses explaining it where, I mean, Jesus could have been like, hey, guys, this is uh, Moses. This is Like, we don't know. He might have introduced them. Like, we don't really know. Like, this is just a picture of what's going on. How they knew their names, I think there are probably some simple solutions for that. But what I find to be interesting, why Moses and Elijah? I mean, there's all kinds of people in the Old Testament that could have been, who, who could have come back up. I mean, I think it would have been cool if David would have been one of them, right? Like, this is like, G- Jesus is like his great, 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 great grandson. Like, that'd be kind of neat to have that family reunion there on the mountain. Like, Abraham, like, you could argue, like, he's kind of significant in the story with the stuff with the Gentiles. I think Joseph would have been cool, and it would have been easy to know who Joseph was because you know he ain't taking off that coat. Like, I mean, so like, there's all kinds of options who it could be. But but instead, he's, it's 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 Moses and it's Elijah. And Schnabel in his commentary gives two reasons why. He, he says the, the reason why it was Moses and the reason why it was Elijah is because they both they both represented in time hopes that there was this thought, and we're going to see it in a moment, that Elijah would come before the Messiah. And so the fact that he's on the mountain is saying, okay, this is the beginning of the end of the age. There was also this thought with Moses where it was like a prophet like Moses was yet to come. And so part of what's happening here is this ushering in of the end of the age. Another thing that it could be too, it's not really that significant, but it kind of is that both of those guys, they had significant encounters with God on a mountain and here they are on a mountain again. So you have this happening, they're here, that God is saying, the end is coming. He's saying the fulfillment of all things is happening. That Jesus Christ is radiating God's glory. And I mean, it's just like only three people got to experience. And and, and you gotta think about those three guys that were there. Okay, Peter, James, and John. They're watching this happen. And it had to strike them. Like, we shouldn't be here. Like they're watching Jesus transfigure before their eyes. Like, and, and so they did like what you do when you're in a situation where you don't really know what to say, but you feel like you need to say something, usually you say something really stupid, right? Like you, you run into that guy at Lowe's and you know him well enough, like. So you got to talk to them, but like, so you got to say something. So what do you say? You say like, so you working hard or hardly working? Like, it's not funny. It's not clever, but you're like, you're here. I'm here. We're going to have to talk. So this is what i like. That's what it is. You just got to say something, right? You go to someone at Silver Dollar City, same scenario. You're walking on that bridge and you cross paths you make eye contact. And it's like, man, I know you well enough that I've got to say something. So what you do is you're like, you go up to them, you got this, sp- sp- I don't know, sparkle in your eye. And you're like, I guess they'll let anyone in here, won't they? <laughs> it's not funny, but you say it. And when you say it, everyone's like, ha, 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 I can't believe that Yeah, it will. And, but what are you doing? You got to say something because it'd, it'd be weird if you didn't. You're in one of those conversations. We've all had them. They run their course, it's over, but you can't leave yet, what do you say? You know, I think it's gonna rain this week. (laughs) And what does the person say? It's probably good, because we need it. (laughs) Nothing profound, it's always true. You don't know what to say, and so you just say something. Enter Peter, experiencing the glory of God on display. Something that three humans get. Peter feels like he's got to do something. So this is what he does. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good we're here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Then this verse six, this is like the best verse in the whole Bible. For they did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Yeah, they were. They had no Well, of course they were. What do you do? And so here you have this situation where Peter's like, uh, I don't know. And what, here's what I love about that little editorial com- comment by Mark in verse 6. Mark wasn't an eyewitness to the account. He wasn't. Like, he, he, he was—his he was, gospel is Peter's gospel. Like, Peter told Mark what to write down. So Peter, some p- p- point at the end of his life, is reflecting on this moment, and he's like telling Mark what to say, and he's like, and this is what I said, Mark. And If you don't mind, go ahead and throw in there that I didn't know what to say, and that's why I said it. (laughs) Like, that that is a moment of incredible self-awareness by Peter, which is nice, because later Peter was self-aware. Earlier Peter wasn't. And here's the thing. Mark actually didn't even have to put that in there because we know Peter didn't know what to say because of what he said. I mean, look at, like, just think about this, okay? Jesus, shining in glory, glimpsing into eternity and Peter's response to Jesus. I'm assuming he's talking to Moses while this is happening, and he's like, hey, Jesus, it's good we're here. Like, I just wish, like, snarky Jesus would have came out in that moment and been like, hold on, Moses. What? (laughs) It's good you're here. Why is it good you're here? Six days ago, I called you Satan. You're lucky to be here, bro. What are you talking about? But he said, "That's what he said." And, and then, not only that, but then you have like, more like okay, he calls him like Rabbi, which as Schnabel mentioned in his commentary. Seems very in, like a very inadequate title given what he's watching Jesus do in front of him. Like Rabbi is another word for teacher. So shining Jesus in all of his glory, like, he could have called him any title. Like, Lord, God, Son of Man. He could have said anything but instead of teacher. Like, he's, he's more than that. And then he says the thing about the tents, okay? And the thing about the tents is, is very interesting because, one, most of the commentators think that, like, the theological thing that's happening with the tents is that he's—Peter's trying to say, like, Let's make this thing last. Wouldn't it be cool if we could just like stay up here and like, could like start a fire? Like I can get some s'mores. Like we could. This could be. Like we'll we'll make this thing happen. And and which is not at all. Like this is just meant to be quick, so that he can go back to what he was, what he came to do. And then you have again the comment with the tense where. He's implying and saying, "Hey, let's, I'll make Moses a tent. I'll make Elijah a tent. I'll make you a tent. Everybody gets a tent." Like he, he's, he's implying that they're all the same. That they all deserve a tent. And, and frankly, if Moses and Elijah get a tent, then Jesus should get a castle. He's greater than they are, and Peter just struggles to see that here in the moment. And if Jesus is like shining in glory the last thing that he needs is a lean-to from Peter. Like, he, he just doesn't know what to say, and so he just kind of starts talking. And, and, and as this goes forward, I like to think that, the, and this is me just reading into the text, but Peter's saying what he's saying, and then I just think God's like, okay, we're done. And, it, and, it, and it's almost as if God interrupts him. So it says in verse 7, and a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. That Jesus has just, like, six days, seven days earlier, Jesus gave them a message that completely rocked their world. I mean, they had this picture of the Messiah that was like one where he is just going to reign and everything's going to be good now that he's here. And, and Jesus says, no, I'm going to die. I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to be killed. Like, it's not what you think it's going to be. And so this is something that they're struggling with. The two more times, two more times, Jesus, like, Jesus is going to tell them, I am going to die. So what God is saying is he's like, you need, I, I know you don't want to. I know you want to make this thing last. I know that you want to put up. No, listen to what he has to say. That you, you, he's going to say something that's hard to hear, but it, you've got to hear it. And then it's like this, the cloud envelops them all, and then it disappears, Moses isn't there anymore. Elijah isn't there anymore. But it's just Jesus. And that's really significant because what Mark is saying is he's saying, they are gone. Jesus transcends them all. That he alone is the most important. As cool as it is that they rose from the dead, and that is so cool, right now, Jesus is who you need to listen to. And so you put yourself in these guys' shoes, and it is safe to say they've had a week. Th- that one week ago, from this moment, they, they finally got it. Like, Jesus is the Messiah. The, the, the person that they have been hoping for their whole life, that they discover that it's Jesus. And then almost as soon as they discover that, the one they've been hoping for is here, they also discover that though he is here, he looks nothing like you thought he was gonna look. But that would have rocked their world. And then here they are six, seven days later, and and now they're seeing, again, he's divine. They're seeing the glory of God on display with no question. Probably thinking, seriously, like, can it just, can, can this be what it is? Like, does it have to be this? And so them, like us, in that moment, they probably had a lot to process. They had a lot they had to sort out. And, and as the text moves forward, you actually get to see them sort it out. It says, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one, what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. I think that's kind of funny because, like, there were nine other guys hanging out with him every day. So, like, they come back, and they're like, so what happened on the mountain? Nothing. Nothing happened on the mountain. <laughs> like, okay, I'm sorry, we'll, we'll tell you later. Like, and so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And then they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written the Son of Man should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. That they're processing so, like, their whole Jewish understanding of, like, the Messiah was that before the Messiah came, Elijah was going to come back. And so they're like, okay, so you're the Messiah, where's Elijah? Which is part of the reason why he came on the mountain, that he came. But he, he says that line where he says, no, they, they did to him what they pleased. And that shows us that what, what Mark is communicating, is what Jesus is saying, is that Elijah, he came. He he came, like John the Baptist came and embodied everything that Elijah was. And he's gone. And so now it's here. There are several other gospel accounts and they say that, like, they're a little bit more explicit saying that that John the Baptist was a form of, not Elijah reincarnate, but he came in the same way that Elijah, and that's what he was talking about. So he's like, he's like, it happened. It happened this way. I need you to see that so that you can move on. But one of the things I think is so interesting is we do this thing with people in the first century and we just think they're real simple. The, 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 we think, well, yeah, they're just, they, of course they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They believed anything. They lived in the first century. They were stupid. And because and, and, and we're like, well, if, this, if they would have said that now, then no one would have believed it and everyone would have questioned it. And, and the thing is, like, if you look at the text, it took them forever to finally believe that jesus rose from the dead that this is the second time that they it wasn't something where they're like is, when the son of man comes and they're like okay cool he's gonna come this is awesome no they were like jesus was talking and then he probably got ahead of them and they're like what does he mean by raised from the dead like they, they didn't they didn't get it they had to process it too and even after he rose from the dead they still struggled with it. And the reason why that's important is it just shows us the validity of what we're reading. That it's not just a bunch of fools who just took everything that Jesus said at his word, but really they process it, they worked through it, and then finally they're like, okay, I I believe this now. That it took him saying it three times and him actually doing it for them to finally trust. And even then some of them are like, I'd like to touch you still. Like, so it was hard. And so here you have this text, and it is it's like theologically like really dense, really rich. And then the question with, you, with something like this is, okay, so then what do I do with it? And, and there really are, <clears throat> I want to just draw attention to two things that you can do with this text. One of the things it shows us about us and then something it shows us about God. So what this text shows us about us is it shows us, because we're Peter, we, like Peter, we miss spiritual moments. Like <laughs> here you have Jesus in all of his glory And Peter's like calling him teacher, trying to turn the thing into a KOA. Like it's not, like he he doesn't understand what's happening. He's not appreciating it for what it is. He's just kind of missing what's going on, which is why God graciously shows up and reveals himself to him. And we miss spiritual moments all the time. Just think about this. You are as close to God as you want to be. That if, if, there, if you have an issue in terms of, like, your relationship, like, you are as close to him as you want to be. That he's given you his word so that you can know him better. That you can know what, his, what he wants for you. That it's, it's there. It's available to you. There are tons of resources out there to help you better understand his word if you're struggling. Like, you, you could do that. That not only that, but Jesus, he died and rose again to create access for you to be able to spend time in the presence of God. That if there's an issue, it's not him. But what we do is we come up with all these reasons why we can't. We come up with all these excuses why we can't. When the reality is, is you have an opportunity every single day to spend time with the creator of the world. You just get to choose whether or not you want to do it. But we miss spiritual moments here in in the house all the time. And there are people in this room. And you've got needs. Like you've got things in your life where you really want to see God show up in your life powerfully. And then we give the opportunity for people to come forward and receive prayer. And you've convinced yourself that you don't need to receive prayer. Like you're missing a spiritual moment there that God wants to do something. He wants to work powerfully in your life, but you're not going. Like you're, not, you're, not, you're missing a moment. Then we have these moments where we sing these songs to God that just like are basically like screaming, you are glorious. But let's just be honest, that more often than not, our heart and our mind is anywhere with, but what we're singing. Like, it's like, you know, yeah, I'm singing a song, but like, man, okay, so it's, it's like 9.30, So, what time do the Chiefs play again today? Okay, it's noon. I wonder if I have time to mow. What are we doing for lunch? And we just like, it, that's what we're doing. Is it, it, and, and one of the lyrics in the songs that we sing is All my life, you have been faithful. All of my life, you have been so so good with every breath that i am able i will sing of the goodness of god that if that is true man your heart should not check out when you're singing that that that's a moment that you have And so we see that we miss spiritual moments. Then we also see—so that's what the text shows us about us. Then what it shows us about Jesus is it shows us that Jesus is willing to suffer and that he loves to forgive, that he's willing to suffer and he loves to forgive. Three times in Mark's gospel, Jesus is presented with the opportunity to avoid the cross and just get the crown. That happens in the wilderness when he's tempted by Satan. Satan basically is saying to him, like, hey— you don't have to die. We can do this a different way. And Jesus says no. That, I mean, last week we talked about how Peter was like, hey, no, the Messiah, like, he, he doesn't have to suffer, man. You can actually just, we can do something different. That's not what we thought he was going to be, but Jesus, and Jesus could have been like, you know what, you're right. Yeah, I'm not going to suffer, but he doesn't. He tells him to get, tells Peter to get behind him, and then he walks into suffering. And then here we have another example Like, if we were to be honest, it'd be a lot more fun to go camping with Moses and Elijah than it would be to die on a cross. But Jesus was willing to suffer, and the reason why he's willing to suffer is because of you. It's because of how much he loves you. It's because he knows that, like, that's what it took to save you. That he knew that the only way that you could actually be saved is if someone lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and that you could put your faith in that, and then you get credit for the life that he lived, and then you get to experience the death that he died where you raised. He knew that that's what it took, and so he was willing to walk through all of it for you. And the thing is, if I was Jesus, like, I would hate you. (laughs) I would hate me. I would resent you for it because of all that I have to do. But here's what we know about Jesus. We know that that's not how he feels. And the reason why we know that is Peter. And I would just point this out as I close that he, seven days, six or seven days before this, Jesus called Peter Satan. The harshest rebuke that anyone has ever gotten by Jesus, Peter got to experience in its fullness. And now here Peter is experiencing a moment that only three people in the history of the world were able to experience seeing Jesus in his glory in a way unlike anything else that ever happened. Like Jesus could have been like, hey, we're getting ready to go do this thing. Peter, you stay back. Bartholomew, you step on up. But he doesn't. He brings Peter with him. And because of his grace, Peter's able to experience Jesus' glory. And because of his grace, you too will be able to experience his glory. Because I can tell you this, that when Jesus returns in the clouds and all the glory of the angels around, like all that's happening, no one in that moment is going to be thinking, yeah, I killed it, come on. But in that moment, you're going to think, this is not what I deserve. But I get it because of him and what he did. And what you'll discover as you encounter him is that he... Loves to forgive. And he's been, he died to show you his glory. But it's something we only can encounter by grace. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we're thankful. We're thankful that you love us. We thank you, God, that you long to forgive us, to be gracious to us, to show us your love and your kindness. So God, this morning, as I, as I pray, I just pray that we would be able to truly encounter your presence. That we would be able to truly be aware of your goodness. That you would help us not to be a group of people who miss spiritual moments, but God, that we would be able to make the most of the moments that you give us. God, help us to to press in and to experience that, Lord. And I just pray that if there's anyone here this morning in the reality of their situation, God, is that they don't know you that they don't have a relationship with you, that they haven't encountered your glory in a way that would save them. I pray in this moment, God, that you'd make them aware of their need for you. And that, God, that in making them aware of their need, I pray they would respond. That they would put their trust in you, God, and that you'd give them a new heart and make them a new person. Jesus, we love you, and we're thankful for your goodness, and we're thankful for your grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in to this message from New Life Church this morning. If you'd like any more information, you can check us out at nlspringfield.com.